Good morning. Uh, once again, we want to give thanks to the Lord. As we enter this year, our theme uh, is following Jesus. And so the last series of the year is on the book of Hebrews, uh, Pressing On to Maturity. And as we look at the book of Hebrews, I've showed this before, it is about the superiority of Christ. Uh, superiority of Christ in His person, His priesthood, and His life. And so chapter 11, 12, and 13, we've been talking about uh, faith, hope, and love. And then meanwhile, in between, there are five warning passages which we will deal with. And so in October and November, this is what we'll be looking at. Firstly, the danger of drifting. Are we, our hearts cold before God? Are we drifting? Secondly, is the danger of doubting and disbelief. Today, we'll look at the danger of dullness. Dullness towards the Word of God. And then danger of despising. And Hebrews 12 is the danger of defying. Such a catch-all. And then, books of faith, endurance of hope, and labor of love. Now, each passage is quite chunky, okay, I admit. But uh, I think by now you should know, you know, I prefer to preach from books so that even if you forget what I say, at least you understand what the Word of God says. And while I can take one, two verses and preach from there, but I don't think you get the whole picture. So I'm trying to deal with whole chunks at a time because that's how it, is, it comes to us in the Scripture, to understand the whole chunk, what it means, so that we can correctly uh, interpret and apply to our lives. And so the whole point of following Jesus, why did God save us and leave us on the earth and not just bring us to heaven, is so that we can grow in Christ-likeness, so that we can become mature, so that we can learn to be spirit-filled and bear the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can live wisely. Now these are all synonyms. At least they, they, they mean similar concepts. So the question for us as we follow Jesus in challenging times is are you pressing on to maturity? What does that look like? Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will cause our hearts to be tender towards your word. That we will not be dull, we will not be hardened. We will respond. We will see Christ lifted up and you glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Niagara Falls is about 180 feet high. It pours down from the Horseshoe Fall and the American Fall. And the rapids are turbulent and violent. But you know, further upstream, uh, the river is quite gentle. So much so you can even row your boat on it. And there's a pedestrian bridge that spans across the river. On it, there's a sign that says, Do you have an anchor? And secondly, do you know how to use it? And we have to ask ourselves in our lives, do we have an anchor and do we know how to use it? Because all of us have a metaphysical kind of anchor, something that gives us a sense of hope, a sense of security. We look in our world today, what are the anchors, anchors of our civilizations? Maybe it's education. And last week I said, you know, during World War II, the nation that's best educated gave us Nazism. Maybe our anchors are advancement in technology and medical science. But today we see, you know, this little virus stops the whole world, causes it to come to a grinding halt. Maybe our anchors are our achievements, our ability to work and perform. But you know, because of budget cuts, your whole division gets shut down. Even if you're the top performer, you lose your job. And so if these are our anchors of our souls, if these are what gives us a sense of hope and security, I think we are in trouble. Perhaps we experienced what the ship called Marine Electric experienced in 1983 when it sunk 
into the ocean, killing all 31 sailors. Now what happened? Is eight-ton anchor came loose and began battering against its hull until the whole ship sank. The ship sank because of its own anchor. And that's why I think it's important for us to ask this question today. What is the anchor of your soul? What gives you a sense of security and hope? And so we look at Hebrews 5, verse 11 to 6.20. Hebrews 5, 11 to 6.20 to see the danger of dullness. In chapter 6, we'll see how should we respond and then why we can respond that way. Alright? So let's turn to Hebrews 5, 11. We have seen the danger of drifting. And then he asks us later about the, the danger of disbelief and doubting. That Jesus is our great high priest. The Word of God is like a sword, double-edged sword that pierces our hearts. And then it comes to chapter 5. It says, Concerning Him, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now what is this hard things that He wants to say and that is hard to explain? Verse 1 to 10 of chapter 5 says that Jesus is in the order, is a priest, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You say, what's that? Well, that is, some, is to say that he's superior to the Old Testament priest that comes after the first priest, Aaron. Alright? And so in chapter 7 and 8, he will explain this in detail, what it means by Jesus is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But right here, he says, I cannot explain right now why, because you have become dull of hearing towards God's word. And he goes on to say, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. There's a contrast here. It says, by now, you should be able to teach God's word, but instead, you, you have to be taught. You should be able you are grown, to be grown up to eat solid food, but you still need milk like a baby. For everyone who partakes only in milk is not accustomed to the word of God, word of righteousness, for he is an infant. The contrast between infant and mature. What's an infant? Someone who drinks milk. And he describes it, you're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You're not accustomed to the word of God. The word accustomed is practice. It means it's not a matter of head knowledge, but how much of it you have applied in your life so that you're accustomed in practice. So friends, you know, maybe you have grown up in church. Maybe you spend a long time in church. You know the Bible stories. But that is not the question here. The question here is how much of it have you applied? Are you accustomed to it? Do you know the Word of God is reliable? For example, I say, you know, look at this chair. It's so well designed. You, know, you sit on it, it can bear your weight. You say, yes, yes, I agree. This is made by one of the world best designers. So it's so, the cushion is so comfortable, very steady. You say, I agree, I agree. But you never sit on it. Do you know that the chair can bear your weight? You look at your weight, actually you, you don't think so, no, even though you agree. Likewise, we can intellectually assent to, to the Word of God, say, I believe. But you know, every time it comes to a decision point, we default to our feelings our desires rather than the Word of God. We never choose the Word of God. We never surrender to the will of God. And so how do we know that God is reliable? How do we know the Word of God is reliable? And hence, we become unaccustomed to the Word of righteousness. Then he goes on to the contrast. Instead of the infant, the mature one, but solid food is for the mature. 
Who is mature? Who, because of their practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The mature Christian in the book of Hebrews is one who is able to discern right from wrong, good from evil. Doesn't mean that just because the pastor says it is correct. Doesn't mean that because this church has a lot of people that goes to the church, it means that what they're teaching is correct. We need to go back to the Word of God. How? It says trained. Gymnazo, the word, the root word where we get gymnasium. The imagery is of an athlete who is intentional about learning God's Word, who puts aside time to spend, to read, to read broadly, to read quickly, to read deeply. To read deeply is to read devotionally. Uh, maybe a, a short chapter every day, trying to listen to what God has to say. But we also need to read broadly, read quickly. Read through the Word once a year or once in two years so we get the broad picture of what it is saying. So that otherwise, you know, we, instead of being able to teach God's Word, we still need to be taught. Instead of being able to feed our souls, ourselves on the Word of God, we still wait to be fed. Instead of living lives of faith, we lead lives of fear. We're constantly overwhelmed by the circumstances and challenges. Instead of being self-aware and growing holiness, we are self-critical and constantly feeling condemned. Instead of seeking spiritual challenges, we are seeking to be spiritually entertained. I come to church so that I can feel good for the songs, the messages. Most importantly, instead of evaluating our feelings and experiences based on the Word of God, we evaluate the Word of God based on our experiences and feelings. You see, I choose to follow God, but it's so hard. I face so much difficulties. I pray and there's no answer. Hence, the Word of God is not reliable. What is the state of your soul today? Every week I ask you this question, are you drifting? After three years of the pandemic, are you drifting? Is your heart hardened in this belief? You feel you know better. Or are you struggling with the dullness towards the Word of God? What is the state of your soul? You may think, why do we want to treat God's Word so seriously? You know, if you look around the world, all those conflicts is because of religion, because people are too serious about their faith. And there are thinkers who believe that we should do away with religion so that, you know, there will be world peace. See, if all the conflicts will result of religions like in the Middle East and whatnot, then if we do away with religion, then we won't have all these problems. Now, can you imagine living in a world that don't believe in God? You don't have to imagine. We just need to look at history, right? Vaclav Havel, who is a former president of the Czech Republic. Czech Republic was formerly uh, a communist state. You know, they failed. They split into two. And he made this comment. He says, I believe that with the loss of God, man has lost a kind of absolute and universal system of coordinates to which he could relate everything. I mean, without God, we don't have this big picture of how everything in life fits. We forget our duties uh, to the world around us, to the people around us, and so we begin to exploit the world, exploit the people. He says, I come from a country where forests are dying, where rivers look like sewers, where in some places, the citizens are sometimes recommended not to open their windows. 
If parents believe in God, their children will not have to wear yes masks on their way to school. Their eyes will not be blinded with pus. That's his conclusion to a nation that earnestly pursued life apart from God. So we don't have to imagine a world without God. The question is, how do we see this world today? The Word of God, I mean, the Bible says we need to go back to the Word to learn to see the seen through the lenses of the unseen. You see, friends, when we look around the world today, there are many challenges. I've said this a few times, right? Look at all the superpowers in the world today. The US is highly polarized. UK, after Brexit, is still uncertain about her place in the world. China is always on lockdown because of their COVID policy. Right? And then the tensions with America is high because of Taiwan, because of the semiconductor chips. And we say, yeah, they won't have war. And then we look at, we, just, we are just having a war right now between Russia and Ukraine. As a result, uh, price, food prices go up, uh, fuel prices go up. And so to fight this inflation, many central banks in the world are adjusting their interest rates. And that brings on a risk of recession, more problems. And so when we look at it from that point of view, it's like, where do we have hope? But you see, Scripture tells us that that is not how we look at the world. We learn to look at, to see the seen from lenses of the unseen. We learn to evaluate the world around us through the lenses of Scripture. And so the Bible asks us, is your heart dull towards the Word of God? The danger of dullness. What can we do about it? Chapter 6 suggests, it says, we must press on to maturity. What does it mean? Therefore, since we have all these challenges, uh, uh, since we, there's this dullness in your heart, it says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead work and of faith towards God. Because of the challenges in life, the people are turning away from the faith. And so the author is saying, that's not how you should respond. You need to press on to maturity. This is the, whole, the theme of the whole book of Hebrews. The purpose of following Christ in our lives is to grow into Christ's likeness. It is to press on to maturity. Otherwise, you have to relay the foundation of repentance and all the basics of the faith, which he goes on to list down, of the instruction about washings and laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He says, don't turn away from Christ. Otherwise, we have to relay these foundations. Instead, press on to maturity. My friends, what is maturity? Now, maturity is not activity. During the circuit breaker, we have feedback that because we have stopped all these activities, several young people said that, you know, they feel like their relationship with God is shaky. It's not real. Because we realize that, oh, much of my faith was dependent on activities. When we're all alone, there are no activities, I cannot feed my soul from God's Word myself. This is what it's saying. We need to grow. Maturity is not activity. It's not religious fervor. I shared with you before, right, in my younger days as a Christian. I mean, I would go to our weekly prayer meetings. I would go street evangelism once or twice a week. And on Sundays, I attend at least two services. One is not enough. And I thought, oh, I love Jesus and I was spiritually mature. But you know, half the time in my heart, I was being judgmental about others. Not about unbelievers, but about other Christians. Because I feel like, why are you like that? You know, you're, not, you're not upholding the Word of God. I was a cell group leader in the campus. And I'm a very good cell group leader because every night I go visitation. Every night, 
instead of studying, I will visit them and reason with them from Scripture why they are wrong. Now, reason is an understatement, okay? Now, was, am I mature? Because I felt I knew the Word of God well. But here, Scripture talks about the Word of God. It is what? It is to apply it to our lives, to press on to maturity. And I was like that until one day I read this, this contrast or this example um, that Leo Tolstoy wrote. Now, Tolstoy is not a believer, okay? He says, you know, the difference between um, legalistic faith and true religion, truly following Jesus. He says the true measure of an external religion is conformity to their creeds and rituals. For example, do you keep your Sabbath? Do you tithe? Do you do this and that? But he said the true measure of following Jesus is the inner realization of how far we have fallen, how far we have deviated from what Christ demands. Then he went on to say, you know, legalistic faith is like standing beside a lamppost. Everywhere around you is bright. You are proud. You are clear, very sure. But you are not growing, right? Because you cannot walk. You have to stand by the lamppost. That's the only place that's lit up. But following Jesus is like holding a lantern, a pole that's not too long or not too short. And just nice, the, the space in front of you is lit up. But you're constantly encouraged to walk forward. It's the idea to be mature in faith is a growing faith. And that is why Philip Yancey says, the proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but awareness of your impurity. That awareness opens the door of grace. So we turn to Scripture in Hebrews. It says those who are spiritually mature are those who knows the Word of God, who applies it to your life so that you can discern good and evil, right and wrong, so that you're growing in your faith. Hence, spiritual maturity, friends, is a lifelong journey. You are always have a sense of becoming but not arriving. No matter how many years you have followed Jesus, you have not arrived. We are always on this journey. There's a sense of wonder, not complacency. And I think this is a question you need to ask yourselves. You know, you know your relationship with God, is there this sense, still this sense of wonder? You're excited to spend time with God. Or have we become complacent? Because we know the Word of God so well, we have read it from cover to cover. There's a sense of commitment and not being lethargic. Despite the challenges we face, we are committed. It's a lifelong journey. Hence, there was a group of tourists visiting historical sites in Europe. And they were amazed to find out how many famous poets and leaders were born in those little hamlets and uh, towns. So they came by this really picturesque town. There was an old person sitting by the road. And the tourists asked him, are there any famous men and women who were born here? Now the old man thought about it and said, no famous men and women born here, only famous babies. Now what does he mean? See, he's saying that no matter how famous you are, right? We're all born babies. We all have the same potential and we grow into that role. Likewise, in the kingdom of God, we are all born again as infants. We need spiritual milk, but we don't remain there. We all have the potential to become great men and women of faith, but we need to grow, to press on to maturity. It's a lifelong journey. So you need to press on and don't falter. Hence, he continues to say, about those who have turned away from the faith 
For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, have turned away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they are again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now this text here has caused scholars a lot of problems through the ages, so I don't pretend to be able to explain to you very easily. But the question is asked is, who is this author referring to? Is it believers? Is he saying that we will lose our faith and then impossible to turn back? But that seems inconsistent to what we understand for other parts of Scripture. So when we interpret Scripture, we always use the clearer parts to interpret the less clear parts, right? So other parts of Scripture, what does it say about salvation? The first view is that these people could be losing their salvation. But I don't think this is the view. Because in Ephesians 1.30, it says that having believed the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed in Him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you believe, you're born again, you have this seal of the Holy Spirit. uh, Chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. means from the moment you accept Jesus, you're sealed all the way until you're redeemed. You never lose... Once you're born again, you're a child of God, you never lose that status as a child of God. There are other, many other scriptures like this, like in Romans, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So I don't believe in Hebrews 6 it's talking about us losing our salvation. I believe that once you're truly saved, you're saved. Although that, that phrase has been abused. And so what does it mean? See, the second view is that possibly is these people, they just profess the faith, but they are not saved. But you look at the scripture again, you know, um, the way it describes it, tasted of the Holy Spirit, tasted of the Word of God, the goodness of God, it seems that like these people are real believers. The third view is, is hypothetical, meaning if a Christian can lose salvation, this is what happens. But from what is written, you know, the sense of urgency, it doesn't seem to be hypothetical. So for me, I think this fourth view is a warning to the church, although there are also arguments against it. But what I think is, the author is like, right, what I'm doing now, right, talking to the church. In the church, there are true, those who are truly born again and those who are not. Now, how, how do I know? Look at Benji and Romel, right? They are serving fervently. How do I know they are really saved? Now I don't. Maybe five years later, Romel decides he doesn't want to have anything to do with the faith. But Benji continues, right? I meet him on the street. I say, hey, Romel, how are you? He say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. How should I respond? I would say, yala, I have to accept that. You're not saved, you're not a Christian. So when you read the text, right? This is what the author is saying. He's just warning them. The question to him is not whether you're truly saved, you're born again, where you lose your salvation. He's just warning the church. Based on what I see now, you seem to be saved, but I can only know if you press on. So, having said all those things, he says, but, very important, but, but, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we speak like that. Though I warned you, but for you, I believe in better things. Why? These better things is because of Jesus, the better covenant. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on the people of God, does the work, and then leaves. The law of God was written in tablets of stone, but God promised in the new covenant, 
The law of God is written on our hearts. The Spirit comes and stays in us permanently. We are sealed by the Spirit. And so he says, I, bet, I believe in better things concerning you. Because God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. See, God remembers what you're doing. You're serving and you still are. So press on. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, he's encouraging them to show faith, to be diligent, to press on till the end. Just like I said this two example, how do I know whether they are saved? I don't know. So my encouragement to them is, you look like you're saved, so press on. So he's addressing the church, he's addressing us today. Are you a child of God? Well, we will know eventually when we show the diligence to press on to the faith. When you look at this text, you see the word faith, hope, and love. They often repeat themselves in the epistles. Even in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 12, and 13, we will deal with love, hope, and faith. How do we persevere in our walk is when we have hope. In our pastor's voice, I shared the story. We need hope. When we have hope of the future, then we can respond in faith. Then we can continue to show love to others even though we think that, you know, we are not... It, be not, it will not be reciprocated. But we have hope. Hope because we, the way we look at the world and things around, the uncertainties, is not based on just our understanding, but we understand it from Scripture. What Scripture tells us about God and who we are so that we can walk forward facing the uncertainties and challenges of life. Why do we have this hope? Because, friends, our salvation is secured. Scripture tells us we are saved by Jesus Christ. We have an alternate vision of the future. We have a world that is going to be redeemed, where the rede- those who are redeemed of Christ will be there to worship God. Hence, we are not hopeless when we see the world as it is, with the challenges and the difficulties, or even in our own personal lives. And hence, we can press on. Hence, the importance of the Word of God, that we are not dull towards it, we, our hearts are tender, we respond to God, and from God's Word, we can understand the future. We can understand who God is. We can understand how we should respond. So when we look at Hebrews 5 to 6 today, the whole point is to press on to maturity. How do we do that? By not being dull towards the Word of God. So friends, question to you today is, you know, how, 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 how are you trained in the Word of God? Do you put aside time to read? your devotions. You may say, but you know, I read and I forget. What's the point? Or I come to listen to the sermon and then I go outside, I go to the toilet, I go for lunch, I forget what was said. You can, you can not, you know, I won't be offended. I also forget what I want to say even before I come up. No, that's not the point, right? You see, for example, if I have a bucket with holes, okay, and I take water, and because of the holes, the water all come out, right? Every time I try to carry some water, it flows out of the bucket because of the hose. And you say this is pointless. Well, it, it, it depends. It depends on the purpose of doing this. If I'm trying to take water from this side to this side, then I would say it's pointless because I take hey, all the water, all leak out. But what if my purpose was to keep the bucket clean? Is there a point? Sure. 
So when we listen to the Word of God, when we study the Word of God, it's not merely just to increase knowledge. It is a daily alignment, realignment with who God is. Every morning we get up, we read God's Word to remember who He is, remember who I am, so that I know how to relate to the world. Every time we come to worship, it's an opportunity to let the Word of God speak to our circumstances, speak to the challenges, speak to the decisions we face. When we seek Him earnestly, we hear Him. The question is, is your heart dull or is it soft? How are you responding to the Word of God? You know, I always do the pastor's voice, right? And sometimes I wonder, is there any use, you know? Because uh, by the time I have to wait, I do no car, no sound in the middle of the night, you know? So you see, I always like, I want to sleep, right? Because I, have to, I don't have a studio to record. Then sometimes I wonder, uh, why should I do this every week, you know? Now, yesterday, uh, a sister sent something to me. She said, ever since I started sending out pastor's voice, she sent to this friend who, uh, in her younger days, was a believer, but has left a lot for many, many years. And yesterday, that, that lady actually responded to her. She says, thank you for sending this to me. You know, when the circumstances are tough, we learn to look to God. And every time I hear that, that pastor's voice, it's like God reminding me of my need to come back to Him. See, this is what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. Let not your heart be dull towards the Word of God. Every time we come before God, whether it's a quiet time, worship, Bible study, it's an opportunity to, to let God speak to us, for us to turn back to Him. So the question is, what is the state of your heart towards the Word of God? Are you dull or are you tender? We must learn to evaluate our experiences and feelings based on the Word of God. The Word of God gives us an objective boundary. Some of us, we like experiences. We like to experience the work of the Spirit, uh, miracles. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we must not neglect the Word of God. We do not evaluate God's Word based on our experiences. We evaluate our experiences based on the Word of God. Do you get that? You say, but I'm turning from something real to something less real. Experiences is so wonderful. Then I turn to the Bible, I fall asleep within one minute. C.S. Lewis once addressed this. He told of this uh, fighter pilot of, in World War II who was hardened and bitter, who said, I have no use for religion and the Bible. I know God exists. I felt His presence when I was in the middle of the desert nights by myself. Since those experiences, God was so real. And then now He come back to the real world, right? See, He's no use for all His religious things. And Lewis says, it's like standing on a beach and looking at the Pacific Ocean and then turning to a map of the Pacific Ocean. The wind, the oceans, the waves, they are real. But when you turn to map, it's less real. But yet, the map is a culmination of thousands and thousands of experiences by people who have crossed the ocean. So if we want to cross the ocean, we need the map. Unless you're content with merely standing on the beach. See, what he's saying is that unless you're content with just knowing that Jesus loves me and I love Him and I pray whenever I need, we need the Word of God. Unless we are content with not growing in our faith, like what Hebrews says, remaining as infants. If we want to go a journey with God, if we want to grow deeper in God, we need the Word of God. You see, all of us have a theology, whether you realize or not. A theology means our understanding of who God is, whether you believe there is or not. This theology informs your worldview, affects your, the choices you make every day. Right? If 
I believe God, there's a God and God tells me to be faithful in my marriage. Then when I look at other women, I will not try to be funny. But if I don't believe in that, the question is, why not? So, we must be consistent with what we believe in. Although most of the time, we just make choices. We are not so consistent, okay? But we are all have a theology that informs our worldview, that informs our decisions. And so the question is, how do we build that? Why do we need to grow deeper in our relationship with God? Because we need to know who He is. And then we'll know who we are and how we ought to relate to the world. So friends, we have to press on to maturity. And why is it that God accepts us? Is it because we put in effort? Is it because we are spiritual? That's why we are accepted. The Bible says no, it's because of Jesus. Jesus is the anchor of our souls. He says, he, used, he says you need to press on to maturity. And he gave example like Abraham. And then he talks about Abraham. When God made a promise to Abraham, someone who persevered in the faith, who pressed on to maturity, he says, since God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying to Abraham, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, Abraham obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as a confirmation is the end of every dispute. When they dispute, they make a vow. They make a vow to someone greater, to the kings. The kings will make a vow to the deities. The understanding is, if I don't carry out, I'll break my promise, I'll be punished by this authority. He's saying here that God, there's no higher authority. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, those who persevere, the unchangeableness of His purpose, gave an oath. What oath? So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We will be encouraged to persevere because of two things. God doesn't lie. Secondly, God uh, vowed based on Himself because there's no greater authority. So that's what He's saying. Why we can have hope? Because God promised. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. This hope gives us stability. This hope is the anchor of our soul. What is it? A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, Melchizedek appears, which means chapter 5, 11 to 6.20 was sort of an uh, interlude. Right? He was talking about Melchizedek. He, he paused. He says, I cannot go on because you don't understand. Then he exhorts them not to be dull. And he comes back to this topic of Melchizedek and then the next chapter 7 and 8, he will explain. But meanwhile, what is this imagery? He's saying you need to press on. Like Abraham. Abraham could press on because God gave a vow. This vow is who? It's Jesus. For us, it's Jesus. He used the imagery of being in the temple of God. The holy of holies, the most holy place. Inside is the ark of God. We call it the footstool of God. Meaning God's foot put there. That's the holiest place on earth, God's presence. There is a veil covering it from the rest of the temple. Every year, only one day in the year, only the high priest on Yom Kippur can go inside to serve. Okay, and when he goes in, he usually wears a bell on the ankle with a rope. So that when he's serving, there's ling, 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 ling. And then a very, very long time, no ling, means he died. <laughs> then they'll use the rope to pull him out, you know. This is supposed to show us how holy that place is. No one can go in. But Scripture says here what? Jesus went in, brought us in. 
forerunner is the idea of when a boat, a ship goes into a harbour, they need little boats to, to, to sort of tuck them and pull them along safely. So Jesus is that little boat that pulls us along. He goes within the veil. And that is why in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus died, the veil tore into two. Then right now, because of Christ, it's like we are hiding behind Him and walking into the Holy of Holies before God. We can come into the presence of God because of Jesus. And that is why we can press on. That is why we have hope. Not because we have determination or we are disciplined. Friends, we need to go back to the Gospel. The Gospel says, we are undeserving sinners. All of us. We are saved by faith through grace. Because of what Christ has done. And let the truth marinate our hearts so that our hearts remain soft and tender towards His Word and we will not be dull towards the Word of God. You know, uh, Pastor Philip Chan and his wife Christine are the founders of Hiding Place, a halfway house, a drug rehab centre, a halfway house. And in 2019, there was an interview uh, so, and like media asked them this question, what good is God when you face pain? And their response was, God is especially good when we face pain. You see, at that time, he was having late stage liver cancer and his wife had cervical cancer. And he was, um, I mean, his life has many of these challenges. Earlier, he had colorectal cancer and because of a botched surgery, he had to deal and contend with the stoma back, you know, and pass on a daily basis. Then he had some spinal problems, so he had to move around this mobile device. And Hiding Place is a faith-based ministry, meaning all their operational expenses, all their medical expenses are based on donations. So he said, you know, last three years has been challenging. I surrender. I even told God that I'm ready to go back and meet him. What's most challenging for him was his wife. His wife had cervical cancer in '97 later had an open-heart surgery, and a few years ago had stroke that robbed her of most of her mobility and speech. Wow, we see this too, like, very tam. They serve God like that. Why, why like that, you know? But yet, he said, we do not blame God because Christ is the anchor of our souls. And he began to quote scripture. He says, Jesus says, you know, the world have trouble, but in Him, we have peace. Paul says we are to rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all things. That although outwardly we are decaying day by day, but inwardly we are renewed. Now what is he showing? Christ is the anchor of their soul. They press on through the Word of God. It's the Word of God that feeds them, that gives them this stability to face their challenges. 2020, he passed on. And apparently this year, his wife also passed on. And what it shows their lives, what it shows us is, friends, one day our health will give way. One day our wealth will be gone. One day our possessions and our achievements will lose their glitter. And if these be our, the anchors of our souls, we are in trouble. But Christ, Christ will never fail. His promise remains true. And so despite the challenges we may face, we have a hope, a sure hope that keeps us going. The question is, what is the state of your heart towards the Word of God? Let us pray.